Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. This is number 19. I believe uh, that's about 19 in our first year of operations. Uh, more than I thought we'd do and a lot less than I'd hoped to do, of course. But uh, before we get into this one with Jockey Sanderson, the legend, I'm so excited to bring you the show. Just a few little logistical things. Um, I'm taking off for Alaska here in a few days. Uh, Dave Turner and I are going to attempt to fly the full length of the Alaskan range. This is another Red Bull project. Uh, some of you may have seen just recently Red Bull TV put out. It's live on the internet free. Uh, you can watch the Rockies Traverse. That's been on tour now for the last few months with Banff and a bunch of other festivals, but you can watch it live now in HD on TV. So hopefully uh, get a chance to check that out. Pretty fun film by Real Water Productions, Red Bull Media House. Uh, documents Will and I's line down the Canadian Rockies to the U.S. border back in 2014. Uh, we got the National Geographic adventures of the year for that one which was uh pretty cool but yeah i've been getting a lot of comments on that if you haven't checked it out you can find that on my facebook page or just google it it's all over the place right now uh yeah super psyched for this trip to alaska uh, we plan to take four to eight weeks to complete this so i've tried to line up a couple podcasts that'll be released while i'm gone uh, i've got this one of course now with jockey uh i'm also sitting down with Bruce goldsmith this weekend and i hope one person more I'll leave that as a surprise uh, and then but otherwise I do apologize I won't be able to turn these out like I usually do when I'm in Alaska of course because we're pretty much off comms you can track that uh, whole thing we're going to have kind of live tracking through Delorme uh, they're gonna, we're going to have a map page put up by them and Dave Wheeler uh, that'll also be on Cloud Based Mayhem and on the Facebook so you can kind of see what's going on with that whole thing it's uh, pretty nerve wracking in a lot of ways, I've got a little article coming out in Cross Country about it, uh, about the preparation side of things in the next issue so be on the lookout for that but Counting, we're crossing more glaciers than I can even count. We're going to fly the north side of the range. This is all theory. Uh, no one's flown up there really. So, uh, yeah, should be pretty interesting. Now, anyway, this podcast, yeah, Jockey Sanderson. Uh, I did an SIV, well, really more of an acro clinic with him back in 2012 uh, in Oladenes in Turkey. Uh, Jockey's just got so much energy. I've been watching his films uh, for years. I'm, I was totally addicted to performance free flying. Uh, his films, Security and Flight, Security Flight 2, are just phenomenal. If you haven't seen them, you must get them. They're fantastic. Uh, this episode is packed with info. We go way down the rabbit hole on this one on all kinds of things uh, modern wings should you carry two reserves uh, a lot of things that I think are really going to surprise you is SIV necessary um, who's SIV good for and bad for when are you ready when are you not when should you repeat what's the most important maneuver you should have in your toolkit um, all kinds of, I think, really valuable information. Uh, I also asked a bunch of questions that came through via the Facebook uh, for Jockey, which he was happy to answer. So uh, I think you're going to love it. I certainly did. Without further ado, Jockey Sanderson. Jockey Sanderson, it is awesome to have you on the show. Sorry for that little blip there. We're going to have to redo this, but uh, wh where are you these days? What are you doing? And uh, and thanks for your time. Uh, I'm at home, actually, this week. I uh, just got back from Australia, and um, 
We're just doing some nice family stuff, hanging out, relaxing before we head off to Turkey next week. Okay, yeah, you you set an incredibly uh, busy schedule. You know, the, when when we met, uh, I took a course from you back in Turkey in, yeah, in 2012, doing some an acro thing with Johan, one of your buddies. That's it. And uh, that was really the kind of the ramp up. That's what started me on all this uh, absurdity and the X Alps and everything else. And then the last time I saw you, we were uh, getting ready for the X Alps in Annecy in in June. That's right. Yeah, and it's great to see. It. It's great to follow your progress as well from doing the SIV and acro to flying in Billing when we met and flew with John Sylvester. And then then in Annecy, it's been fantastic. Do you just keep it up? Keep that yeah, energy yeah. and enthusiasm. Oh, well, thanks very much. Well, it's, you know, I go on the coattails of guys like you and mentors that have gone before me. You know, usually I, I like to ask about, uh, take take me back and share with me some of your history, but I don't think I'd get to answer, answer uh, ask a second question if I did that with you. My goodness, you, you've you been at this 30 years. Yeah, yeah, 25, 30 years. Yeah, over a quarter of a century. Quite that incredible. is just that is just amazing. You mentioned John Sylvester. What a legend! Oh, that, yeah. I, I, oh, I love that guy. guy. Yeah, really true. He, <laughs> I was that he. I did my first bivy trip with him from I remember, beer. I was there. Yeah, that's you right. You were there. You camped out and flew back the next day, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, it was amazing. The next day, we, we were encased in ice that night. I didn't bring a sleeping bag. I just brought all my down. I figured, well, that you know, I, I fly and it's cold. It can't be any worse. And <laughs> made a little fire that night and wrapped myself around the fire and woke up the next morning at 930. And it was already on and, and dialed up and flew back to beer before anybody had even launched in beer. I just thought, oh, my God, John, this is amazing. we we got to do more of this. Definitely. That's what, that's, is that what got you addicted to X-Up stuff? Totally. That was the first one. Yeah, I have to give him all the credit. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, I just thought, man, I, I really need more of this. That's where Cedar Wright calls it a sky crack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so what I would love to start this off with, uh, rather than hearing about all those comp years, which I know is exciting, and yeah. I'd love to have you tell me a story of that, but how did you transition from comps? I believe it was kind of the late 90s. Uh, with Robbie Whittle and John Pendry and all those guys you were flying around with. How did you go from that to, to what you're doing now? Because I think, you know, this instructional side has been really the greater part of your flying career. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed competitions. They're fantastic. I never really, I mean, I enjoyed it for flying with my friends and having a great time. And being paid and sponsored to travel the world and just fly is just a tremendous tremendously fortunate thing to be able to do but um i never really had that killer instinct wanting you know or you always enter a competition wanting to win but uh i enjoyed it too much and you know i mean i finished third and stuff like that and it was good good fun but um it's uh i much preferred uh, teaching actually it's just sharing in, um, knowledge and seeing smiles on people's faces as they they achieve things so i got more of a reward from from teaching uh, but the main reason I stopped was just to start in a family and not not being able to justify competition flying when you've got you know, young kids was a lot of that because of the risk or was it more of the time a uh, little bit of both um, okay so I mean I'd, I'd been doing it for 10 years and, and it was just about time to start a family and I had to cut out a few things uh, that, to keep me home a bit more and the competition was one of the things that went really um but, uh, I mean, I always look back with great fondness. I think it's a fantastic thing to do. Um, 
and brilliantly rewarding and incredibly bonding with other pilots sharing it. And it really teaches you a lot about yourself, you know, from competitions to preparation to discipline, you know, the whole thing. And it's great, great to do, when, especially when you're young. But at any time of your life, as long as you want to do it, that's the key. Don't feel like you have to do it. Mm. And and how did the SIV thing start? How did that was, you know, was that was that pretty common back in the day to be doing SIV training or did you kind of lead the way? Well, we what we did is we I used to test um, for Acapulse and we, we used to do sort of testing um, for manufacturers and some development work and for our British Association. And it was very, you know, we did we did testing and it was, you know, tested for distillation, spin, stall recovery, things like that. Um, and it was very young then. There weren't really SIV courses as such, but it was it was something that I thought people would benefit from. Um learning themselves and there weren't really courses there were sort of there were similar things but not very not very um um detailed uh and so we put it together uh, what i basically did was put a test flight uh broke it down into course structure so deflations searching for spins searching for stalls stalls and spirals and and various other maneuvers um and so you sort of break a test flight into a course and then that's how the SIV courses evolved for us anyway um, and you know I think it's a thing that people do benefit from it gives them confidence and it gives an understanding in their glider and uh, confidence in their ability to control it so it's a thing that worked um, so yeah it's a great thing to do your your videos um performance free flying you know i had that on the boat as i was sailing around the world i I learned in 2006 and i i would watch that video over and over i mean god it was like it was like the matrix for me it was just something i just could not get enough of and uh, just the quality of it and the the way you instruct i've been trying to send people your way forever ever since those those early days but um, how did you, I guess, let me, let me ask a different question. How have things changed for you with SIV, with modern gliders? How have you adapted over the years and what have you seen? Is it getting safer? I'm asking more than one question here, but is it getting safer? I think in general, yes, uh, it's, uh, the, what's happening is in the old days, people used to have to, in order to get performance, they'd have to sacrifice a little bit of safety. So to get that top end of speed, they'd have to fly a glider that was quite fast or quite dynamic. And so they'd sacrifice a bit of safety. These days, with modern design technology, the, 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 the curve of performance and the curve of safety are sort of nicely matched now. And, so, and also, because of education, pilots are flying gliders that are well within their remit rather than ha- feeling they have to fly gliders that are way faster or more dynamic than what they're practically used to. Um, so it's in general, it has got safer. Yeah. With glider design and with pilots flying sensible wings now, um, with the two liners and stuff like that, that's where it becomes more dynamic, more interesting. Um, with the shark nose, with the rake back, uh, lines rigging and stuff like that, that's makes it more, um, we have to change the style of teaching, uh, and just develop as the gliders develop really. And to, we always have to evolve every single siv instructor would turn around and say you you can never relax on your laurels you have to keep watching and seeing it develop because 
whether if you can fly the gliders yourself, even better, because then you can put it through all the paces yourself and really understand what you're doing. Um, but also you see patterns emerging as pilots are flying out and they're doing stuff and you think, wow, that was interesting. So you start playing with gliders and seeing the best way to get cravats out, things like that. But in general, we all SIV instructors have slightly different ways of teaching, but the main message is pretty much the same, I'd say. And how much is enough or not enough? How much should people be doing SIV training? Um, for themselves? Yeah. To, yeah. Um, I think when people ask that, you know, when should I do one? And you shouldn't have to do one. Never feel you have to do one. Um, I think the, the key is when it's holding you back, when that feeling of um, – doubt is holding you back so you know you get to a stage in your flying where you're thermaling and you're getting to base and you're you're flying but there's a little bit element of doubt you're looking at your wing a bit you're breaking a bit too much you know and you think well, what happened if and then when that starts to happen you know it's time to to do a course because that's the time when you think right actually you know i, I want to free up a bit more concentration to focus on good things in my flight not the negative, which is looking at my glider and trying to control it. So by the, when they get to that stage, which is normally about, depends how you fly, where you fly, but it normally is between 50 and 100 hours as, as general. People are often want to do it much earlier than that and some much later, but generally um, that's the way it will go, where they're just thermaling, they're get, just getting into their first sort of 20K flights and then they start to think, and that's when they start to do an SIV course. That's, that's when it really benefits um, the pilot because they get that understanding of the wing, that trust in the wing and that trust in their handling. It's all about being quick to react, but also quick to back off as well. And that's what SIV teaches you. And, uh, you know, it's very important to, that people want to do it. And that's why I say to people, if, if they've got 10 hours and they really want to do it, then I wouldn't hold them back either um, because they're a blank canvas when they're so uh, so little experience. They're just full of enthusiasm like puppies, uh, but they've got that Mr. Magoo. They get away with anything just with blind optimism and they're, they're generally flying gliders that are pretty safe. So they have a ball and they do these manoeuvres that they think, you know, in three days you do manoeuvres you thought you'd never be able to do. And the progression is very progressive. We don't accelerate people. But it always feels right when they're doing this certain manoeuvre that they're about to do. And if it doesn't, then they just either hold or, or go back a few stages. But generally, people really enjoy it and get a lot out of the course. Uh, and also, the trust in the glider is immense. But then you can have the same guy coming on a course who's already quite fearful and doesn't enjoy flying. And he's come on a course to give himself more confidence that's the wrong take because you need to build your confidence up um, and you need to build it up in a nice progressive way, not force yourself. You've got to always land wanting to go back up and do it again. And that's, I think, the key for anyone that does any sort of manoeuvres or pilotage or SIV or acro or anything. If you land thinking, oh, thank God that's over, then you should start thinking about doing something else. But if you're landing, wow, that was fantastic. I want to go and try that again. You know, that's when you know it's really working. And 
SIV does that. It, you land and you think, oh, if only I could be up there again. I, I just want to do that again to just make it a bit better. You know, that's the sort of buzz you want to get. Mm, I think that's really important for sure. I think the listeners will get a lot out of that. When, when you and how do you keep? How should you keep going with that? Because I, when you know, when I came and took your course, I was kind of different. I was taking the acro side of things, but everybody there was taking this. You know, your standard awesome SIV course and you know it's so funny to watch the progression of the week because in the beginning people are a little bit nervous and then they start to get some confidence but it's building up to the full stall day and the full stall day everybody is silent (laughs) everybody's just so nervous to go up and do their and then they do it and it's awesome and they land on the beach and they're just they're through the moon and I remember I think it was in performance flying you said you know whenever you get a new wing that's the first thing you do is go up and and do full stalls and get used to that wing and I've I've always done that ever since with all of my wings that's the first thing I do as well but you you do want to be comfortable especially if you're doing over the dirt uh with full stalls and 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 acro yeah, stalls definitely. and that kind of thing but how do how do you take people where do you leave them at the end of the course and when should they come back and what should they still be doing I think um we always want every pilot uh, and instructor who uh, around the world wants to finish the course feeling confident um, and happy with their wing and happy with their abilities to control the wing. That's what the whole thing's designed for. I think if, if the minute you, st- if you're doing a course and you start to feel a bit, uh, everyone gets nervous, but it's a positive sort of nervous because once they do it, it's fantastic and it builds on the next maneuver they're about to do. Um, and so we always want them to go away w- armed with more confidence um, and more positive attitude towards flying. I think during a course, it's, re- it's key for us uh, and for any SIV instructor to, to see if a person's not responding or not really enjoying it, um, to just gently slow it down, slow the progression down and focus on the stuff they're good at, the stuff they enjoy. And so that when they land, they land more positive and more hungry to learn more and then we just gently steer them into the right channel and then we can get them back on track to, to learning more about the wing and, you know, stalling and, and stuff like that. But you see, stalling now, it's a, an amazing thing. The course, always oh, stall day is a quiet day because that's the one that they're building up to. But funnily enough, uh, now I always ask, you know, with stalls and spirals, so which one did you like? You know, it was you're most nervous of the stalls, but was it the stall you didn't like or was it the spiral you didn't like? And uh, now the trend is they don't like spirals. They like the stores. They weren't as bad as they thought. And it was the spirals they didn't like. So interesting the way it's gone, um, mainly because people are very fearful of blacking out with spirals and things like that. And there's a lot of locking in issues that uh, we have to address now. So that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how trends go. You know, in a decade, they've gone from absolutely hating stores to not actually not minding stuff. But again, with stores, we, you know, you go in, you teach sort of a full store so they lock their arms so that it's safer because they don't accidentally release it and let it dive over them and have a horrendous time. So, but as they get more progressive and they understand the forces, then we, we go more into sort of stall, tail slide and easing up the brakes and monitoring that dive and learning about that pressure point. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's finesse and training even to stalls. They're not so binary as on and off. And that's what, you know, a good SIV course should sort of bring that out rather than just ticking boxes. It should, it should always have a, a pilot landing and 
finishing a course thinking, yeah, most of my answers, my questions were answered uh, and my confidence has gone up, you know, and it's opened a door to make you more hungry to learn uh, and give you more confidence in your in your flying. And I don't think people need to come back all the time. Uh, a lot of people get the bug um, and think, yeah, I've got to do this every time when I get a new wing or, you know, every couple of years I'll come back. I think once you've got the understanding of it, it's there. It's, it's lasts for quite a long time. Um, I think what it does do now with the beauty of acro is it shows, wow, you know, I can, I can have this much fun on my glider, which is designed for generally they're designed for thermaling and, and cross country flying, but look how dynamic and actually safe, you know, a glider is in big wing overs and big transitions and the fun you can have. And it's, it's starting to sort of people are now, thinking, well, I enjoyed that so much. I'm going to try sats and uh, wing over moves and yeah, looping moves. And if I really enjoy that, I'm going to progress more into acro. But that's just a complete another sport. You know, mm. it's independent in itself, isn't it? Mm. But it's so correlated, isn't it? You know, I've, I've, I've decided after the X-Alps this year that I really needed to focus very heavily on acro in these next couple of years before the next one because it just it allows you to – um, get into worse air uh, more comfortably. You know, it, it, it's yeah. just that that training of knowing what your wing's doing without looking at it. That feel is you just get so sensitive with acro. I think they really correlate. Yeah, definitely. And the the great thing is it's correlating through play, and that's what pilots do. We're up there enjoying it. Uh, you know, and that's the key. That's the end of it. We we're up there because we're playing and we're enjoying it. And if you're doing acro and having a ball and playing. It's a totally different spin to if you're up there being terrified on a wing that you're looking at and, whoa, just trying to overbreak and, and you're just not having a good time. The same pilot and the same wing can be totally different headspace. And, yeah, as you say, you know, do, doing acro, totally, because you're so attuned with the glider and the pitch and the dive um, and the handling, you can really you – you're not even thinking about it. And that's what SIV does. It sort of – sows that seed and gives you that little bit of confidence but obviously you know four five days of an acro uh, siv course will, will not make you a master you have to go away and practice and practice and, and get really into it and, and taking the x alps example that's a, a great example because you look at the conditions you fly in the wind conditions you have to take off in uh no you don't have to but yeah you, 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 if you, you want to compete and you're safe yeah, <laughs> yeah if you want to win or have a chance but it's not dangerous. It's not dangerous if you train. And that's the key. So you get a lot of pilots that judge ex-Alps uh, pilots. Say, oh, they're just lunatics. They're not lunatics. They're just uh, such athletes. They've trained so hard. They can pop a glider up in 40 k's of wind easy and get off a boulder field. No problem because they know they can because they've trained. And it's all about training. So, you know, we did, you know, teaching SIV and teaching cross country, you know, we show the pilots a door, but it's up to them to go through it and practice and do more and more to get to whatever level they want to get to where they get 100% out of the sport that they love. One of the questions, Jockey, I get a lot are, are people that come in and they, you know, hey, gosh, it's so great to hear from all these people that it's basically their profession. They get to do this all the time. But, hey, I've got a job. Yep. I've got a family. I can really only fly on the weekends. How do I get good? What do, you, what do we say to them, you know, the 50-hour pilots a year? You know, what should they be focusing on? Uh, it's a, that is such a good question. We, we um, 
I, I'm really there for them because uh, they do. They've got priorities. They've got families. They've got work. And they've got perhaps two weeks of a year that they can treat themselves to going on holiday with their friends flying if they're lucky. And so you've really got to, we always say to our guiding teams, look, anyone that comes on a week with us, we have to give them 100% because this is their week. And, you know, we've got to give them whatever they need to give them as much flying, as much knowledge. Um, because, you know, time is precious for, for people. But I think the key is, Getting stuck in with a group that is as enthusiastic as you are, that's one thing. So don't feel, you know, you have to just go on a hill and wait to introduce yourself to people and just get a group of like-minded people. And so if you're feeling a bit flat one weekend, a bit tired, then someone's going to call you and get you out if you're in that group. So you get a group that are all like, come on, let's go out. It's looking good next week. And even if you're busy at work, you might get a little text from your buddies saying Saturday's looking good. And suddenly you're on it rather than just waking up doing nothing on that Saturday. You're actually up focused and you've got, you know, guys in the team that are following the weather, the geeks are following the best routes to do. And then you're providing the transport and out you go and you fly as a team and with a bit of banter and you're really getting the most out of the day and that's the way you'd benefit that's the way any weekend flyer would benefit from from flying and that's what's happening in the uk now um it was led by you know barney uh, and uh, mike cav and all the guys you know doing these mega distances and they're all doing it because they're just a group of mates having a laugh uh, researching the weather and going for it. And there's no reason why weekend flyers can't do that. Um, and it makes it so much nicer. You know, when you think, oh, could I be asked to go flying today? You know, yes, you should. And if you've got three or four mates calling you up saying, hey, what about it? Then it makes you do it. So I would say get out and practice as much as you can and get a little group of buds that are the same. Uh, different characters. You can't be all the same. But uh, the same the same focus, the same love of it. Uh, and then keep away from the ground suck. <laughs> but, uh, when you get onto yeah. the hill and they're sitting there saying, uh, oh, all right, it's not looking that yeah. good. You know, I wouldn't be going up today. Look at that. Oh, we had a collapse. You know, keeping away from them and focusing on, on the positive. And uh, if you arrive with your mates, there's nothing nicer. You know, we, we arrived with us flying in um, Australia last week. And I, I was fortunate enough to get my boys out. So Josh and Seb came out. We, we had a family holiday for two weeks. And we arrived, my Josh flies now, and we arrived at this Blackheath, at this place, and we just looked it up. We phoned a few friends. The guys, the local pilots were fantastic. They gave us top advice. Um, we all went down. We shared some great flying together and a, little, a bit of banter on launch and landing what a great day, you know, and it's all about not turning up on your own, feeling a bit self-conscious. It's about, you know, being with people and not being afraid to talk and get stuck in with other people. And you can do that better as a little pack, a little gaggle of buddies. And that's what I, I would love to encourage. Mm, mm. I, I like that. Surround yourself with good folks and mentors and it'll all, it's, it makes yeah. it a lot easier, doesn't it? Um, yeah, exactly. And if you if you're not, you know, you might be the one fizzing people up one weekend and then others might be fizzing you up the next. And that's the way it should go. But just keep away from the negative ground suck posse and uh, just get on and do your thing. 
Jockey, um, not to go to the dark side here, but just because it's paragliding and it, it is it is part of the sport. Um, accidents, you, you've I'm sure seen plenty in your years. Um, are there common threads and themes um, that you see that that cause them? Uh, yeah, I would say <clears throat> it's people um, often just flying in environments they're not 100% comfortable with themselves but feel that they should be Um, and often that's we all have um, performance peaks and troughs confidence peaks and troughs and um, attention peaks and troughs and it's as a pilot the the beautiful thing about the sport we do is you have to be honest with yourself because you know your judgments are final and if you make a mistake you quickly change it and do another one and live you know learn from it um and i think with people that have long breaks um people that fly um in conditions that yeah last year they flew in the same conditions but this year they're a bit jumpy and, and they're not um quick, as quick um they try to sort of justify doing it and being there but they're probably the head's probably already screaming at them to get out or and that's when they're flying outside their um, comfort zone, but feel they should be there. That's when accidents happen. You get this great, the great thing. And Matt Gerdes wrote an article recently about you know having that knowledge, you know, being totally naive but full of enthusiasm, and then you get to you get the knowledge, and then you uh, you know, and it's all about knowing yourself and operating within it. Push the boundaries gently. When it feels right, push. When it doesn't feel right, just back off. But you don't have to do anything you that you feel that people think you should. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that fly gliders, for example, that are a bit racy, and because they're chief instructors, they feel they have to fly them, um, and which is wrong. You know, you should you should you should fly what you're comfortable with. We, for example, I I flew you know in comps for years, you know, with uh, prototype gliders for years. But if I take uh, just, you know, I don't fly much or I take a little confidence curve one year, I'll, I'll drop down. I've dropped down to a rush before um, and cruising around on that because you know, I'd rather be still flying. But in, a, in, in an environment that I'm happy with than forcing myself to fly on stuff that I'm not happy with because that will make me stop flying eventually. Um, so you drop your, you drop your game a little bit. You enjoy the flying, buzzing around in safe gliders. It then feels, you feel hungry to do more and more. And then you come back up again. So you go back up and, you know, I've got flying my M6, cruising around, having a ball. And it's all about that. And, we, you know, you look at all the top guns at work at it all the time. Even John, Sylvester and all the, the guys that are flying big conditions. You know, they can often, you know, if they've, um, they'll drop down to a few the deltas or, you know, any mid-range glider or a lower glider if they're not feeling happy that time and because they're athletes and they know that's what they're comfortable with uh and i think practice and being comfortable in your skin is important because um you know the the this is the great thing about aviation is the decisions stop with you and so accidents often happen when you get all these variables start playing their part not one is a singular one you can put your finger on, but they all start playing their part in contributing to the to the mistake you end up finding yourself in. Whether it be 
in conditions you shouldn't be, on a glider you shouldn't be, um, or you know, at a time you shouldn't be. Yeah, it, they all play their small part towards towards the actual incident itself. And it's you, know, you look at any incident and you you rewind the clock, and there's something you can learn from it. When should when should a pilot when is a pilot ready to step up, and and why should they do it? Uh, obviously for the better performance, but um, is is there is there a, a moment or what do you what do you advise pilots to do because these days there's a huge spread in the b and c range wouldn't you agree i mean there's the you know the hot b's are yeah. you know will gad flew the carrera on our rockies traverse you know he's one of these an incredible pilot and it was you know unless unless there was a lot of wind you know i was on the peak uh, the peak three a d you know he he was just had no trouble keeping up so i mean i think you can do astonishingly amazing flights as we've seen in europe Brilliant. in the last few years the guys on mentors just sending it um but but when yeah exactly when should a pilot move up um i i always think when it's holding them back when you know th- there's a feeling you get when you're going on a glide or or you're just there's a point in your flying where you just you want more your stomach muscles are tense you want more out of it um that's when you step up but not you not when you think you should, um, not when your glider's got tired and you want another glider. You think, well, I've, it's another glider, so I, I need to get, go up. You you go up when you feel when it's it's a feeling, and um, you know when the time is right. You not you don't step up because you think you should. You step up because you you, uh, you feel held back by the glider you're in. But again, you know, if you're in a glider that is like the Carreras. Carreras are brilliant, you know, in the right hands. They're absolutely, they're absolutely fantastic wings and they fly brilliantly well. And, you know, look at that, you know, the, the rating it's got, the performance it gives. Do you need to go up? You know, do you, you know, and it, it's great to fly a, a really good glider, a hundred percent, than fly one that's a bit racy and you're starting to fly, ooh, not as well. And it's all about that currency. Uh, and flying because i mean you know the guys that fly the enzos and uh, the peaks and all you know they they're just beautiful gliders to see and fly but you've got to be current and you've got to be on it and you've got to be you know there all the time flying it and quite often as soon as you start dropping off the currency and dropping off that that hunger then uh, yeah you should gear down and don't be afraid of gearing up or down it doesn't make any difference but you shouldn't have to go up or down. It's, it's when it feels mm. right. Jackie, you talked about, because you, you teach uh, phenomenal XC courses as well, you, Chris, and um, it, when you talked about uh, the low hours pilots surrounding themselves with a, with a good gaggle of folks and not the ground suck folks, but um, more on the technical side of things, like what would you say are the three things that, that uh, come up again and again in terms of what, you know, what people should work on? Um, I would say mm. launching, um, make sure that you really, because there's nothing worse than getting to a launch and thinking, oh crap, I'm high wind launches, because you've already mm. started on a negative. You're already thinking, oh my God, I don't think I can get off from there. You know, but if you, if you know you can nail uh, nil wind launches, reverse launches with a tailwind, um, high wind launches, you know, the Aussie launch, the Cobra launch, you know, practicing all these different styles of launching. So that you know, you you don't even think about it. You look at the, you're looking at the sky, 
and you see the appear at the takeoff and yeah i can get off there and you bump up it goes mm. bump off i'm gone and it's something that is you cannot practice enough and and i don't mean wait till it's honking wind and then go on a football field which is flat and then get dragged around a bit and then <laughs> give up i mean you know go in nil winds go in 5 10 15 20 k's more of wind different variations of it different angles of slope as well everyone thinks they they have to ground handle on the flat that you don't when do you take off on the flat you know you want to go on a hillside steep hill everyone the, the funniest thing i see people i take people to hills and they see a steep launch and it's quite windy and they think oh my god that's horrendous and it's like that's safe if you can do it yeah, right that's safe absolutely you know so why are you afraid of it? You shouldn't be afraid. You should be able to just get there, get it ready, learn the little tricks that don't expose yourself to risk, you know, like having the glider prepared and getting it all bunched ready so that you can just present it to the wind and bang, you're up and gone. And you know which way you're turning. Everything's all right, gone. There's no kerfuffling around. So, yeah, I would say ground mm. handling, mm. definitely. Um, knowing your kit. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, is mm. an important one it's because the time you I, i'm guilty of it as well you know you get some kit and you, you start fiddling around with it and already oh shit, i missed that thermal and oh no i can't my vario is annoying me because it's, it's set wrong you know all those little things you should be able to be a machine when you get onto that launch uh you should have everything ready everything prepared so you you know your flight your kit your everything and so you've done all your research so all you have to think about now is the beauty of thermaling and doing the distance, uh, if mm. that's what you want to do. Um, and so, yeah, know all your kit and do your research. And then the third one is uh, <laughs> practice. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, I would say more, because I'm quite a playful person. I, I, I'm not, unless I'm mucking around or playing with mates, uh, I'm not very stimulated. So I could get to a hill and float around and so start getting bored mm. after 40 minutes. But if someone said, I bet you can't get to that hill over there, then uh, that's mm. it. Game on. I'm off. Because uh, there's a challenge there. Uh, and it's a bit of kafooring with your friends. So I think, yeah, again, yeah, play. Don't yeah, take it I like Yeah, I like that. Jockey, I posted a thing uh, when we scheduled this uh, yesterday on Facebook. Uh, just uh, if anybody had any questions for you, and a few people replied that I wanted to <laughs> to run by you. The, uh, these are you know quick questions, okay. but they don't have to be answered quick. You could take as long as you want. Um, okay. Reserves. Uh, should people be flying with yeah. two reserves when they're flying XC? Uh, I don't think no. I don't think they should. Uh, they, okay. they don't have to. Uh, the, the, one is good enough. Um, I think if you manage the main, then um, you can use that as a reserve anyway. There's quite often situations where the reserve is actually thrown relatively low uh, by the time you get it out or whatever situation you, you're in. Um, and so I don't think you need to fly with two. Uh, I think what I would say is you've got to, you've got to depower your main, uh, but if you do need another you know if you thought that you wanted you wanted to for whichever reason you want to but one you can use you just go fingers in the backs the cd lines pull them straight down and you've got another parachute um the likelihood of you ever going into a wing 
uh, and then having to swim out of it and throw another one is very um, rare. Um, so there's not many scenarios where you would need to. And I've thrown a reserve a, a couple of times um, and it didn't work because I threw it badly and it went into the lines. And so people think, oh, no, I, I needed a second one for that. Right? You don't. All you have to do is pull it and it will open. Uh, you, you can put it right into your lap and re-throw it, mm. but it will open uh, and it will work. So I don't think for cross-country flying, I don't think you need to. Yep, perfect. Uh, Igor asks, how stressful is your job and how do you deal with the dark side of paragliding? <laughs> um, uh, that's a great question. The, uh, the stressful times, are, um, they keep you so on your game. And it is, it's fantastic. I mean, I have to go through from, if it's the, 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 perhaps the most stressful is when I'm not in control of the, the guy that, that is doing a cross country and, uh, you know, I, he's putting himself in a position where he's exposing to risk or something like that. And that's quite stressful for us because we're, it's our job to, to protect them. And, uh, that's when mm. it becomes stressful, uh, or you lose communication for whatever reason. That's when it's stressful. In a SIV um, environment, when the stress, when you have to really start thinking, um, then your heart rate's going as, as well. And so you're thinking a lot faster. And so it's going into your eyes, from your brain, out your mouth, and into their brain and down to their hands. And so it's all happening quite fast, but for both. So it's, um, yeah, it, and you can deal with it. And there's always, um, you know, you can always default to throwing a reserve if necessary. But, you know, one, you want to prove to the pilot that they can, they can, they got the glider out. Um, but it's, that's the stressful times. You deal with, you deal with it by one learning from it. So straight away, you never go in denial. If something happened that's really stressful, you think what, what created that stressful environment? Um, so you learn from it and laugh from it. You know, if mm. uh, if, mm. you, if you can, <laughs> um, but I think dealing with the dark side that is a t that is a tough question. Uh, I think what you do is you just focus on the good. You learn you learn from the bad, mm. but you focus on the good. And I think we have that in us. You know, if you're an adventure sports people, we're exposed to it all the time. And sadly, we see friends not come through it. But um, you know, what you have to do is think. They loved it. I love it. You know, and uh, where else would I be? And uh, and that's what you say to yourself. And you think I wouldn't be anywhere else. So crack on and uh, share it with the people. You care the, about. This this isn't one of the questions that was asked. I just have to ask that after your response. Are, where are you in your own passion for the sport? Are you do you spend a lot of time outside of coaching just flying yourself? Are you, are you still pretty fired up about about paragliding after all these years? Yeah. I love it, um, and it's uh, now I've got Josh that I fly with uh, as well, so that's great. And uh, so you know, I I've now got I fly through his eyes as well, and that's the thing about guides um, is we have to fly for everybody else. So we our standards sort of although we can do it ourselves, our standards and goals also go to the level that we're guiding. And so we get a huge reward from flying 50Ks. Uh, but, you know, we land at 50Ks 
or with someone who's never done it and they're absolutely stoked, then that's just the same as me flying 200. You know, I get the same buzz out of it. And it's the same, that parallel, you, you take all the way through your flying. So I would, if I was to keep wanting more and more and more, then I would have given up years ago. It's the, the key is to just enjoy what you do. And even if it's a top to bottom, um, make something good out of it. And yeah, I, I tried to do all the big, big distance with all the boys last year. Um, I just couldn't do it. I was too busy. I was just, you know, uh, you have to really, really uh, devote a lot of time to doing good XCs and looking at the weather and dropping everything and going out and going doing it. And that's something, I mean, I take my hat off to them because, you know, I, I just, I suppose I'd love to do it but I just don't have that hunger. If I turned and I got that hunger, then I'd have to be dropping a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I, I take my hat off to the guys that do it. I think it's fantastic. I don't, you know, how Mike Cam could just does it is just astounding. I mean, it's great. It's great, you know, listening to your stories and following you and the guys doing, you know, see the, all, the, all the guys doing these mega flights, not just X-Alps, but, you know, you see it on Facebook and, you know, the joy that people have when they, they've landed and they're sharing it instantaneously. And you're mm. looking at it thinking, that's phenomenal. How did they do that? You know, and it's just, it's a huge amount of energy that comes from, you know, we're behind anybody that does good things, whether it's you know, their first hour flight or first 100K or, or, you know, the whole of the X Alps done in a couple of days. It doesn't matter as long as they're, they're sharing it and having mm. a great time and people are learning from it. Then yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. That's what absolutely. it's all about. Jockey, uh, one of the questions I got, I really like this one. What kind of pilot in your SIV courses, or I guess in your in your XC courses as well, are, are you least worried about and are you most worried about? <laughs> um, the, okay, the, the least is pilots that have come from another field where they have the, a natural skill. So it, whether it be a, a climate that's got the same philosophy or another uh, a pilot from a different discipline, you know, you, you know that there are certain people that have got it that, that can take information on um, and act on it. And so you get a quite a natural pilot. Um, and whether they, they're, they, they've done a lot of hours airtime or not, that they, they've got it. Um, because they, they take, they've got the right approach to it, um, and then you've got the people that don't, that have got, they're they're doing it, you know, their sense of, you know, what actually is going on, uh, and what is actually really going on are two very different things, and when you get pilots that and that aren't prepared to learn, uh, they're the ones that will have a sticky time, so so you. It's those ones that you're most wary of. But the, 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 and, you know, it's not just young pilots that are very good and easy to teach. Um, but they're generally, generally, the, it's the younger generation that are uh, much quicker and easier to teach than, than the older ones. And I think it's when, it's when people uh, are trying to, to be something that they're not. Uh, and, I, and I choose that words very carefully because, I, I want everyone to enjoy flying, but, uh, you know, in within a bubble that they're comfortable with. Uh, and so, you know, 
it's great that people, you know, want to do uh, maneuvers and get stuck into it, but you don't have to. And uh, some people sort of get put themselves into positions where they think, oh, I should be doing this. When if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. And that's the key. You know, we get a lot of pilots that, uh, who was it? Oh, it was Hugh Miller. You know, he'd brilliant XC flying, um, great, great pilot and never wanted to do an SOV course ever. And then he did one and um, with Fabian and he had a absolutely, he thought it was fantastic, brilliant. But all that time before that, he felt, I don't, I don't want to, I don't think I have to. And uh, you don't. And as long as you don't push it, then uh, you'll be all right, I suppose. But you'll really benefit, once you do do it, you'll really benefit from it. Um, but it's all a question of, you, you can often teach people that um, either don't want to be there or their hands and arms aren't doing quite <laughs> what they should be. <laughs> because it's the same as a person that you see taking off and their bodies are going forwards, mm. but their feet are doing little steps. Because they're trying to say, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like taking a passenger tandem and they run, don't want to run, go. Run, run, run. <laughs> run, run, run. And you go right over their shoulders. And people are yeah. SIV course. Yeah. People are SIV course do that. They, you know, they can. And that, that's when you think, oh, no. And that's when we gently go back or we, mm. we set smaller tasks that they can achieve, bite-sized tasks that they can achieve. And they, you know, they, they progress in a different pace. But I mean, you you, say, you also get these guys coming on a SAVE course. They hoon through it. They think this is fantastic. Can I try SAT? Let me do this. And oh, I'll start yeah. from the spin. And this is brilliant. <laughs> and then you get other pilots <laughs> think, sod that. <laughs> I'm just going to do a couple of stores. That's me done. What is the most? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Is What is the most important maneuver to have nailed? <laughs> like when you when you leave one of your courses. What do you want? What's the one that you you think? Oh, I'm really glad they've got that one. And is that the same one that people should continue to practice? It's wingovers. Um, that is the one that they should. They 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 don't, will never always nail wingovers in in one course. Uh, you know, it's very hard because it's there's a lot of things they've got to do. Um, but when you get wingovers, that's the thing you can really apply to thermaling and switching in cores and getting up from, you know, low down uh, or getting up from in a, in a cliff face with trees and have that confidence to throw the glider around knowing you've, you've got it. Don't worry about it. Uh, that's the thing that is people should take away and practice. Um, and yes, they should understand what it feels like to start to spin so they know what it feels like. Um, uh, and back off it and use that dive to their advantage. You know, they, you're trying to get into a thermal and it starts to spin. You just ease off gently. It dives and wham, you're in the core. So it's it's using things um, like that to your advantage and getting stuck in. And, and that's what SID does for you, gives you that confidence to just, oh, there, there it is. Yeah, use that. I'll have some of that and dive and whoop, I'm in. Um, and I think what they should take away is is practice the need to practice, because you can't just turn up, tick the boxes and go away. It should say to you, bloody hell, there's so much more to this glider that I need to learn. And I'm going to go away and practice. So, you know, wing overs, not big ones, just smooth ones and symmetric ones. Um, and just throwing the glider around with perfect happiness. 
is the key. Yeah, and and really good wingovers are not easy. You know, they take a lot of time to get good at good wingovers. No. Yeah. They're, yeah, have a nice one. <laughs> oh! Big one, oh, no! Be by I'm, I'm over my like, wing. No. What do I do now? <laughs> yeah, no! I'm expecting that! Jockey, I've just got a couple more here, and then we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate the, your time. Go ahead. What, what, what has changed? Um, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but um, what are you teaching differently with the advent of shark nose uh, with, with modern wings? What, what's changed in your world? Uh, you talked about um, the prevalence of, you know, that it's, that it's easier maybe to get into a locked-in spiral if you're on a hotter bee these days than, than it was before. But take me through a little bit. How have you adjusted things in the last five years in your teaching? Um, it's, it's more about the piloting really, uh, is getting the deflations. We can still achieve deflations, um, and getting the understanding of the change in weight, uh, accelerating into the turns. Um, but it's more about using the energy and the power to pull it out, uh, in a nice, progressive, smooth, fluid way. Um, and being comfortable with a dynamic situation, which you diffuse and, that's the key. That's what we're we're working on. Whether glide the glide is different, um, and some can be quite dynamic and require quite fast input, but you have to be quick to react and then back off. And I think teaching that is is very important, especially these days. Um, you know, with high aspect ratio wings, with the power of the deflations, especially in uh, speed bar deflation, where the glider very quickly goes behind. Um, that's when you have to be quick to break to stop it going too far back, uh, to, to, which would allow it to, to start to cravat and the tips to come forwards. So quick on the brakes, then back off the brakes and break the dive. You know, it's all about that speed, but don't confuse speed with aggression. Uh, have that sensitivity. Uh, and it's, it's more of that, really, that we try to focus on. You know, it's not binary. It isn't do that deflation. You have to do this. You have to adapt. And uh, we all have to look at the glider and think, whoa, that, that didn't work the same. You know, and you can say to one pilot, okay, really pull it. And uh, they don't. And you go, go on, really pull it. And suddenly they do. And, it, whoa, it goes to a very dynamic deflation. Um, and they've got to be able to cope with that. So it's all about the briefing and making sure that they're comfortable with the dynamic situation. Um, but new gliders, new trends, yeah, it's, it's again, it's talking to pilots, talking to development teams, seeing what works, uh, and seeing yourself, you know. Getting, there's nothing nice than getting in the glider and playing with it yourself. Uh, or, or one of us, you know, going up there and having a little look at it and thinking, whoa, that's different. And quite often you can... You know, if I see a pattern where something's not, you know, what I'm saying isn't quite working, you'd go up, fly a glider, do the maneuver and talk through it as you're doing it. Just like I used to do testing. And then you think, oh, shit, I'm saying the wrong thing. You know, it should be more of this or less of that. And so by doing it, you actually understand more about what you need to teach. So you can't, you know, no, no instructor can rest on their laurels and just sit back. They've got to be current and follow development and trends and what's going on. Huh. Do, you, do you prefer teaching SIV or XC more? Oh, 
I like change. So I, I'd hate to, if I did SIV all year, I'd give up. But what I do is I love change. So to, to be doing SIV, and think, you know what, I'm starting to get bored of it. And then, oh, I'm going cross country next week. That's fantastic. And then you give that 100%. And as soon as you start to think, you know what, I'm done on flying in circles and straight lines. I, you know, I really want to throw the glider on or, or you know, watch people as they learn how to throw the glider around. Um, and then you sort of change. So just as you're just starting to think, mm, counting the days now, you then change. You go back to your family, have a lovely time. And then you think, great, I've got something new to do. So that's change is as good as a rest. So you have to change it. So you can be you know, full on X-Alps and then suddenly go and cruise for a few evening soaring flights and coastal flying with a bit of acro. Sure, sure. And then, doesn't, you know, a bit of a change. Doesn't have to always be full on. So that's it? how you can do it. So, <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And yeah, that's why I like, uh, I, that's why I never want to do only one. I, I love a change. Cool. Jackie, tell me a story. Like from your uh, oh your, your comp days, tell me tell me tell me one that you you don't often get to tell in your courses. Oh my lord, a story that you've got, that's a real. Story. <laughs> well, one one of the feedbacks I've been getting, you know, when when I when I talk to guys that have been around for a long time, and, and then I'll hear from Nate or Matt, you know, the guys that I'm local around. Oh, you should have asked them about that time when they got sucked into a cloud, and you know, because but I don't have the history, I don't know it, so I I I, I want I want to have give you the opportunity to tell something funny, <laughs> something that happened to you. Oh, yeah, but they're, 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 they're... It's not good. <laughs> or just good or <laughs> tense or <laughs> I like uh, I tell you what I love is um, is talking of funny we used to I remember being in cast on the sauce uh, that was a world's I can't remember when it was 97 I can't remember um, and it was such good banter and I hope it is I'm sure it is still the same but you know we'd always get drunk in the evening and and you'd be out there sort of slightly hung over but you're sharing the time and you you you're doing the 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 course and the task and the great thing that really made me think wow this is this is just such good fun was being in a in a gaggle and I, it was chris muller a uh, fantastic fantastic pilot brilliant spirit and he would with his we're telling a joke um, and in a thermal and there's a whole, whole gaggle of pilots. It was, a, it was the first 30K, so there's still loads of people there. And in this gaggle, you know, shouting the joke down, right down <laughs> through the column, um, and, and passing up. And you can hear the pilots all, what was it? <laughs> you know, the jobbers said, what? What does it mean? What's that? <laughs> and, you know, going all out of the column. And, but we didn't have a chance to finish the joke because we just got to base. So everyone... Get we get up to base and we we all go on a glide, all serious, go on a glide, you know, staring at each other out your sunglasses, <laughs> and then you get to the thing and and you we arrived at this, we started telling the joke in. Is we could hear shouts from down below going, wait, 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 I'm not close, wait, wait, wait. Uh-huh. <laughs> so okay, wait, wait, wait. You have to wait till everyone gets in the film. Okay, go. What's the joke? Finish it off. Uh-huh. It's, and that sort of banter. I love it. And I think that typifies competition flying so you know you might be competing with each other around the world but 
you still want to share a good joke. I love it. I love it. That That is a perfect <laughs> place to wrap this up. Jockey, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. I hope I get to do uh, more flying with you here in the future. We're going to see you, yeah, and uh, we're going to be seeing you this, sounds like this June and July, uh, back in Europe with um, one of my, you know, with Ben, my trainer for the X-Alps. Oh, yeah, yeah so that'll yeah. be a blast. So we'll Fantastic. see you soon. I look forward to seeing you. Sounds good. And following your progress. Thanks a and lot, just give it a shot. Will do. Appreciate it. Take care, dude. Cheers, Jockey. I hope you enjoyed that. That was pretty cool. I was taking notes going through the edit on that one uh, the last few hours, putting this all together, and I've uh, got pages of notes. So uh, I'll write that up in the show notes on the website. You can review that. Uh, as I said, at the top of the show, heading to Alaska soon, so we won't have too many more of these for you in the next few weeks, but hope to get one out by Bruce Goldsmith and another before I take off. Uh, if you've got any questions for me about Alaska or anything else, shoot me an email. I hope you enjoyed the last one, the in-between cast, where I answered your questions. As always, thank you so much for your generous donations. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to be talking to Nick Grease at the Cloud-Based Foundation and find out how we can route some of that money their way as well as they're doing such great work. Uh, thank you all so much. Appreciate it. See you on the next show. Fly safe, fly far, have fun. Cheers. <laughs>